I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden. We're so excited to have our next guest here. I have Kemi Nekvapil with us here today. And she is, amongst other things, the author of the absolutely incredible book, Power, which if you have not picked up a copy yet, you absolutely have to. We'll have all of the info in the show notes as well. But uh, Kemi is one of Australia's leading credential coaches for female executives and entrepreneurs. Uh, She's also a professional speaker and facilitator who has worked in the wellness industry for more than 25 years and holistic leadership for 10 years. Uh, She is the author of three books, but the latest one is Power, which is so, so, so good. Her work centers around shifting mindsets, cultivating self-confidence and embracing authenticity authenticity as pathways to unleash our inner power. And her unique insights and practical strategies have empowered countless individuals to overcome self-doubt, redefine their relationship with power, and live more aligned lives. And in her book, Power, Kemi guides us on a transformative journey. And I'm going to leave it there because you were going to hear a lot more from her. Uh, I should tell you that uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend, Lucy. So thank you, Lucy, if you're listening. Uh, she was so excited to introduce us. And I absolutely devoured your book, Kemi. So thank you so much for joining us here. Oh, Cara, it is such a delight to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. So your book, Power, explores the concept of personal power and uh, how individuals can harness it into their lives. Yet it's not your typical book on power. I remember uh, hearing the title and I thought, oh boy, okay, and was really excited as I'm like turning the pages because you have a, a terrific slant on this word that uh, I would really, I can't wait to hear more uh, from you about it. But you actually shared a story of how you viewed power as a child. And I would love for you to share that. So I, you know, like many women, when I first heard the word power as an adult, or even as we're growing up, we hear the word power. And I think most of us are not that interested in it, that it's a very negative connotation of the word. And, you know, through childhood, I think not many of us as children walk around going, do I have power? Do I feel powerless today? How do I feel in the school playground today? But what I definitely learned growing up, I was born in 1970s England. I was one of the tens of thousands of middle-class Nigerian children that were fostered to white families. And so what I learned during that time was that I was powerless. Now, I wouldn't have obviously said that when I was a child, but when I look back, my experience was was that I was to be grateful for the opportunity that I had and that I was not allowed to have an opinion. I wasn't allowed to have feelings. I had five primary foster carers by the time I was 13 years old and very much my parents had the power. Very much society told me that as a young black girl, I didn't have any power either. And so I lived until my mid-teens, not questioning that, knew that I had to navigate the world as an apology and knew that I had to make sure that I never rocked the boat and that I didn't upset the people around me because then I wouldn't be, and I say in quotation marks, I wouldn't be allowed in the spaces or places that I may want to find myself in. Now, I have to say that some of those foster families were incredibly loving and taught me love and taught me about family and some not so much because that's how the foster system works. But that was definitely, I spent most of my early years 
navigating the world with no sense of power at all. And so what was the point when you kind of woke up and you thought, maybe I need to change this perception of this word? And it's almost like when something has a negative connotation, maybe you fear it a little bit, right? And you won't take it on. I felt like that was a little bit of what I was feeling in your book where there were moments when you just decided, hold on a minute. Mm. And it was, it was a series of moments. There wasn't one particular light bulb moment. One I can share with you was that I was 16 years old. I was at school and we had just finished a physical education class, which in the UK we call PE. And we were in the changing room. Me and my friends were just kind of getting changed after PE. And I remember looking in the mirror and I could see all my friends behind me laughing and chatting and giggling. And I was always the only, I was always the only black girl at school. And at 16, I don't know if you remember, Cara, the most important thing when you're 16 is to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It does not matter about Mm -hmm. anything else. And I was told and I knew that as a darker skinned black girl in particular, I was not beautiful. I was not pretty. I did not have a, um, a boyfriend or, you know, I just did not have any interest in me whatsoever. And I remember looking at my friends and thinking, why don't I have what they have? Why are they so confident? Why do they get to do the things they do and have boyfriends and just have the ultimate life because they have a boyfriend? I'm a feminist now, so I wouldn't say that. But I suddenly had this, I call it a divine download. Now, I don't identify someone that is religious but I do believe in messages that come from outside of us. And I had this divine download that was, if you keep comparing yourself to other people, you will never be happy. Hmm. And I just knew at 16 that that was true because my experience of myself and of the world in the world at that time was one of incredible unhappiness. I think it was probably one of the most unhappiest times in my life, I can say. So I knew that this message of comparison was taking away my power and my sense of myself and what I could do in the world and who I could be in the world. So that was definitely one of the first messages that I got around, you may need to shift how you're seeing how you are in the world from an internal perspective. Obviously, there are structures and there are systems in the world that are real and that are true that I still have to navigate as a black woman, but that how I felt about myself, I was starting to feel I may need to shift that. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So interesting. And so just by taking that one little step around comparison, do you remember at that point, did you actually feel better and more confident and like you had more power at that point? I think it made me focus more on what I did have and not what I didn't have. And I think for any of us, mm -hmm. once we have that shift, that is a whole new way of living. Absolutely. When you're trying to kind of uh, catch up, right, to, to people mm -hmm. versus, versus actually looking at what you have. And uh, I, I think that that's such, a, that's such an incredible piece. So you mentioned in your book that embracing our personal power can lead to increased self-confidence and the ability to live authentically, yet many people struggle with this and fear uh, when it comes to stepping into their power uh, that they may be considered, uh, you know, maybe made fun of or uh, people will think that they're conceited or obnoxious. Definitely when you're 16 years old, I can imagine people think like, oh, you know, who does she think she is? So could you share some examples of any other stories when you felt like, you were you were changing and people just needed to get on board with with what you were doing at this point or not right you may have to walk away from circles as well if if they are not going to allow you to be the authentic person that you're choosing to be it is it is such a journey this this journey of stepping into our power and i think what i really want to do actually is to share the dictionary definition of the word power, because I know that so many of us have an interpretation of what this word is, and then we recoil from it. So 
you know, you may be able to hear in my voice that I'm English. And so for me, it's always about the Oxford Dictionary. So when I began writing the book, I wanted to look at what does the word power actually mean? Because I knew I had to redefine it for those of us in the world that have been told that we don't have any. I knew that I had to go in from a different angle. And so the dictionary definition of the word power is the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way. And so once I read that, I was like, so isn't that interesting? Because we have been shown one form of power that only one type of person gets to have. And that form of power is very, can be very dominant, can be very manipulative, can be very scarce. This idea of I have power, you can't have power. And so when we suddenly realize, ah, my power is about how I do things in the world. It's about my agency. I think it's a concept that many more of us understand and many more of us want to cultivate. That is definitely why I write the book. It's about how do I redefine a form of power that women in particular want to take ownership of and don't feel, as you said, that sense of, oh, I'm arrogant or that means that I'm egotistical or that I'm a bad person or a greedy person or an evil person. We are at the time, we are at a time in the world right now where we as women need to and have to step into our power because we have work to do in the world as individuals and as a collective, whatever that work is for us. For some of us, that is raising children at home and being the best guide and the best model that we can for our children. For some of us, like you, Cara, it is changing the world of business and changing how founders show up and how, you know, collectives of people come together to change systems and structures that don't work for many, many people. So for me, I would say that my journey with power is still ongoing. You know, I'm a woman in midlife now, so I can tell you my power is out of force now that it has never been before because that is one of the opportunities. You know, for anyone listening, if you haven't yet hit 40, I promise you it gets better (laughs) because our sense of ourselves from 40 onwards is an opportunity to stop apologizing for how we want to live, to stop apologizing for how we lead. And it's a journey where we go in and out of power all the time. So for me, as I said, 16 was probably the beginning, but I didn't name it as, oh, I'm starting to find a sense of power now. But I, you know, I worked as an actor for seven years. I was very fortunate to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Mm -hmm. Theatre and some of the UK's best acting companies. But one of the things for me was that I was in a situation that a lot of my peers at the time you know, really wanted getting into professional acting is a tough gig. And I remember doing this job and it was really fun. But I also realized at some point, I was actually in New York with the Royal Shakespeare Company and I was talking to a fellow actor and she was sharing with me that she really wanted to play Lady Macbeth when she was 40. And I remember being so excited for her, but it also made me think of this idea of presence, which maybe we'll go into one of the power principles. But I remember getting present to do I want to keep playing other characters for the rest of my life? Or is my job here to be able to take full ownership of who I am and actually navigate the world as Kemi? And I decided that that was what I was here to do, that I had spent so long not being myself, being an apology for myself, that actually my main work was going to be being in the world as Kemi. And obviously, as that's now extended into my work, it's to walk alongside other women so that they can show up in the world as themselves too. I love that. Well, one of the uh, people that I thought of as I was reading your book, Sheryl Sandberg talks about this term bossy all the time, right? And and so power often equates, um, especially for women in business, that you know, they're bossy or they're a bitch or, you know, that's unfortunately something that is uh, very rarely actually labeled um, for on men. Uh, but, yes. but I loved in the book the humility that you showed, the vulnerability uh, that you showed as well as you were even struggling with the name of your book. Like, would people actually view that as, uh, oh, here she comes, you know, she's going to tell us how it is. But it's really, um, it's an interesting thing because even somebody that uh, wants women uh, to show up and uh, be their true authentic self, I uh, 
I definitely look at that word power and I have to train my brain to think differently about Mm -hmm. it um, because we live in this world where um, you want to be, uh, you want to be heard and you want to be listened to, but you're also trying to build something and create something. And, and I think it's, it's, you know, a constant struggle, but I loved, I loved hearing that, uh, that struggle that you went through. Do you want to share a little bit about that? as well? Well, it's interesting what you're saying about Sheryl Sandberg and the whole bossy thing, because that's what I speak about in the book as well, about the power of a collective and the power of community. Because for those of us that may have been told we're too much this or we're too little that, or we should be more of this, we need to have other women around us that know, well, maybe we need to have the other bossy women (laughs) around us Mm -hmm. that also are trying to create something in the world that has meaning, are trying to create more equity in the world for more people, are trying to, you know, learn a language now that we have in the world of how do more people feel that they belong instead of those of us that maybe have grown up believing that we are broken and that we need to be fixed. And whether that is depending on how we identify, whether that's on our ability, neurodivergency, sexuality, that there are so many of us that have been told that who we are in the world uh, is not okay. And so this idea of stepping into our power can be a really scary thing. And especially for gen- you know, for gender as well, for being a woman, we have been told that being in the world is not okay. I was speaking to a client just the other day. She works in law and she said, oh, you know, I've been work. I've been working with her for a couple of years, and you know she really wants to, to become a partner, and she's now a partner at the firm, and now she's having these big partner meetings with her colleagues that are all men, and she said, "I just feel suddenly my I don't have a voice anymore." You know, I've worked so hard at this firm, I've always been very um, assertive and and used my experience and my skill, but suddenly now that I've become partner, I feel that I'm apologising for my voice, and it was so interesting in having the conversation and having the session with her because. She realized that for her, it was like, I can't have too much. I can't have too much power. I can't have too much status because somehow I'm going to be punished. And we had a look at that. We sort of explored what does that mean? What's been her experience of that in the past? Now, I'm not a therapist and she has her own therapist. Mm -hmm. So that was something she decided to take to her therapist, but it came up in her coaching session. And she kind of looked at in her childhood when she did take a leadership role, whether that was in the playground or within her family, she was punished for that. She was told, who asked you? This is how it's going to go. Nobody wants your opinion. And so for me, I had a very similar experience where I decided that when I walked into a room as a black person navigating white spaces, that I had one intention, one objective, and that was to make sure that the white people around me were not offended and that I would not be, you know, thrown out of the room Mm. or told that I wasn't allowed to be there. And so I spent a lot of my life being nice. And I say that with a particular kind of nice, um, because that is such a small box for women to have to operate in. And I took on not only being a nice girl or a nice woman, but a nice black girl or a nice black woman. And that is an even smaller box to have to operate in. And I will sort of, when I'm speaking on stages, I will joke about, you know, I'll ask people, put your hand up if you want to be nice. And everyone puts their, most people put their hand up. And then I ask the question, put your hand up if you would like, she was nice on your tombstone. That that is the ultimate sentence that you would want on your gravestone. Hmm. And nobody puts their hand up. And when I ask, so what would you like to be remembered for? It's always, for my passion, for how I contributed, for my humor, for, you know, for, for who I was, for what I did. But this idea of being nice is not a powerful way for women to navigate the world. Now, kindness, that is incredibly powerful. But I believe that nice is a way that we dumb ourselves down and have been told that we should dumb ourselves down. And let me just finish off the story that yeah, this no, lawyer I love that it. with my client. I love it. Um, She had a meeting. I received an email from her. So she had a meeting with the partners and she said, I showed up in that meeting, not as an apology, but a hundred percent in my power as myself. One of her partners came up to her afterwards and said, I don't know what's happened, but that was the person 
that I wanted in the room today. And it is such a, you are a gift to our firm. Wow. That's, that's an incredible story. I love it. Uh, and, and I think I, I was listening to another interview that you did. And I think this does hold true that, you know, as you age or as you become more successful, I think it's easier, uh, to have, to stand up for yourself and, and have those conversations for sure when you don't have currency, right? You don't, in, in some way, I think it's very difficult for people um, to be able to do that. And unfortunately, I think when, if you're just starting out, uh, right, you're, maybe you've gone to university and you're uh, getting into a job, I think it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard to sort of find that balance for sure. It is 100%, but I also believe it's hard when you're raising teenagers, Cara. You know, like that. Totally. Well, <laughs> speaking of which, I one of the things that I wanted to uh, have you share the story, when I think about, I don't know where to find courage to do something. Um, I have four children and I think about how do I want them to perceive me? Right. And it's less about, you know, what's going to happen and how my coworkers or how the world is going. But I want my children. That's what I want on my tombstone. Right. I don't care yeah. about being nice. I, I want yes. them to think that I showed up. I yeah. fought for them. I did what was right. And I think that that to me is, uh, is a very powerful thing. And hopefully that will wear off on them as well and teach them. But one of the stories that you share in the book, which was incredibly powerful, was uh, the story of the situation in your own child's school. Would you mind sharing that story? Oh, my goodness, yes. The, um, the violence that happens in the school playground between, between children. So, yes, I, um, I have an incredible mother-in-law who was a kindergarten teacher. And when I became a mum, she said to me, once the children start going to school, I just want you to know something, that every single parent will believe that their child is in the right. And so I took that on. And I'm someone, you know, that is trained in deep listening and trained in clear and kind communication. And I found myself when my youngest child had hurt another child in the playground. They were actually sticking up for a friend, um, which is, you know, which is in some ways as a parent, you're kind of proud of them, but also it's not okay to, you know, to push another child because um, you're kind of, you know, an eye for an eye. And so I got a call from the mother of that young boy Um and she was very upset because the boy was, you know, had been had been pushed and he was pretty scared. And I remember thinking this conversation is probably going to go one of two ways and I'm going to hold that she is going to hold that her child is right. So I'm not going to defend my child. I'm going to listen to her. And what's important for me is that she feels that I care as much about her child as I would about my child because my ch the children were in the same classroom. And so the conversation we had, I listened to what she had to say and I listened to her child's concerns about what had happened. And without defending my child, I shared, you know, from my child's perspective, this is, you know, this is where they were coming from. And obviously it wasn't okay for them to push your child. And by the end of the conversation, we had such a respect for each other. I had said to her, you know, what can we do? What what do you need my child to do for your child to feel better about this? And she actually said, I don't know if I actually, because I did come into this conversation kind of feeling like your child had to do a particular thing or you had to do something to make it better. But actually what I've got from this conversation is that, you know, they're both children, they're both learning. And that in some ways we can step back a little bit as parents here and we can allow them to work it out for themselves. And even as I'm sharing this story with you, Cara, it's kind of, it's kind of us as parents allowing our children to have their own power and look at we all have the ability and capacity to do something in a certain way and we need to work out who we want to be and how we're going to conduct ourselves in those spaces and those places. But 100% as parents, our children are watching us all the time. There is no point in us eating pizza at one end of the table while telling them to eat their greens. Mm -hmm. That is... They are watching us and it is more powerful for them to see us. And I, very similar to you, Cara, when I became a mum, 
I decided that I wanted my children to see the full spectrum of what it is to be human. So for me, part of the way that I live in my power as a child that was told I wasn't allowed to feel anything, I wasn't allowed to have an opinion, that my children have seen me experience all emotions from excitement, you know, from getting a book deal to crying because, you know, being an entrepreneur can be an incredibly challenging journey. They see me say, I will say to them, oh my gosh, this thing's about to happen and I'm really nervous, but I'm excited. And actually one of my children said, oh, that's nervexus when you're nervous and excited at the same time. So we have this whole vocabulary in my family. I love it. But I wanted them to see that power isn't about this, you know, dominating force and going out and getting what you want at all costs. Power is having the the vulnerability and the courage to be in the world as who you are, to create things in the world for other humans that make life easier for all of us. It is not a linear process. I know I know that I can have a conversation with one of my teenagers because, you know, as I said, teens can be challenging. It's a challenging time for them that I can leave a conversation and feel absolutely powerless, like just going, oh, my gosh, like where have you gone And then in the next moment can have, you know, I have a great group of girlfriends that are also parenting teenagers. And that would be definitely my number one um, message to anyone out there that is parenting teenagers. It is a tough gig. Find the parents around you that you can share the whole journey with. Um, You know, you call a girlfriend and suddenly you're laughing and, you know, you understand what just happened and you kind of go back in again to have the conversation with your teen and power is restored for both. Because what I've noticed as well is that if I walk away from those conversations, my teens aren't feeling great either. Mm -hmm. And that we as the adults go back in because we are the ones that have the life experience and we have more of a conceptual idea of what is going on for them at this period in their lives. So, you know, it's an ongoing, the book is not read this book and you'll be all powerful forever. The book is we go in and out of power all the time. Sometimes it is taken from us. Sometimes we give it away because we're smart and sometimes we can own it without apology. And the book is a guide to understand when and where we give it away and why. Is it an individual reason or is it a social construct around race and gender? And if we give it away, Sometimes we give it away because that is the smartest move at that time. And then how do we get to rebuild our power in those situations? And who can hold a mirror to us and remind us of our power when we forget that we have any? Who does that for for you? Oh, I am now at a period in my life, Cara, where I only have people in my life that allow me to be in the world without apology. So I have an incredible group of girlfriends. I have an incredible group of um, um, couple of really great guy friends as well, actually. I also am very much in a relationship with my husband. So he is, he is, you know, I always kind of joke about this and you would have read about him in the book as well. I am married to a white, middle-class, Christian, able-bodied, cisgendered, heterosexual man who is also a lawyer. So he kind of ticks all of the boxes that I don't tick. And we have been together for 20 years. And my goodness, you know, the what we have given each other in terms of our partnership and our marriage and raising two biracial children and what I have learned from him in how he has been told he is allowed to navigate the world And what he has learned from me in that not all experiences are like his. And we are at such a beautiful point now in our marriage where we get to, you know, he gets to show up as part of himself in the world that maybe he was told he wasn't allowed to as a male. Um, And I get to show up in, in the world in the way that I get to show up in the ways that maybe I wasn't, well, not maybe, in the ways that I was told that I wasn't allowed to show up. So definitely we have a lot of mutual power in our marriage and in our partnership. And I have that in my friendships and it's a gift. I had to change, you know, to be honest, Cara, and I think you probably would have found this in your experience, that we need to do our work and change who we are to attract the people that can see us for who we are. Mm -hmm. And I have definitely done the work for that. No, I love that. And I I think also know that it's uh, not just happening to you, right? That it's people are taking um, maybe at moments you think, you know, someone's taking advantage of you or or not treating you right. But I think that there's other people in the room who also maybe feel like uh, 
they're not being seen or heard either. I think to your point yes. about your husband. So it's really yes, and actually interesting. Yes. And let me share with you just yesterday, my husband called me and said, babe, I need your help with something. And I already knew, I said, I already know that you know the right thing to do before you even say it. He said, no, but let me talk it out. He said, I'm in a case at the moment. He said, it's an older male barrister. There are seven male lawyers. And then there is my junior. So the person that was working with him who is female. And at the end, apparently the judge said, um, okay, okay. Um, okay. Gentlemen, thank you. And then he went, oh, um, and you. And to the female lawyer in the room, and you. And my husband said, I just don't know whether I should say anything because, and I said, how do you think she felt when she left that court that day? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what happened in that room. And he said, okay, I'm going to say something to her. I said, because she would have felt incredibly alone. She knows she's the only female in that room. She's having to pretend she's not the only female. She's having a conversation with herself tonight, maybe with a glass of wine about how it is for her to be the only female in that space. And my husband said, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to invite her for coffee. And I'm just going to say to her, I don't know the experience you're having in the room, but I just want you to know that I can see what's going on. And I'm here for you if you want to chat about it. And that is him standing in his power as one of the males in that room but then using it to elevate the power of the female in the room. Because I said she is alone and she is made to feel that she doesn't belong in those spaces, but those little moments of thank you, gentlemen, I said you get to remind her that she does belong and she's done the work to be in that room. And that's how he's going to be using his power today. I love that. Well, and I think having power too, it's, uh, you know, it's something that is, uh, it, it depends on what you really care about, right? She cares about being a terrific attorney. I remember a story that I've shared with our audience before uh, when we were raising money for our company, Hint. And uh, my husband and I were the co-founders. Uh, we've worked together for over 20 years and uh, been married for over 25 years. And But when we showed up, at a venture capitalist office and I had just had my fourth child and I'll never forget. We were walking up the steps to this office and the head partner said to me, I was reading up on you and I understand you just had uh, your fourth child. And I said, I, I did. And he said, so who's watching the children? Oh, not that and one. he looked right at me and I felt like, someone had just popped my balloon. Yeah. Right? What was fascinating is we went into the meeting and, you know, it was an okay meeting. They didn't end up investing for a lot of different reasons. But when we were driving back home, my husband said to me, did you hear what that gentleman said? And I said, of course I did. And he said, so why didn't he ask me? I said, yeah. what? And he said, probably the most important thing to me is to, is my family. And so mm. he must have thought that I'm not a good father. I said, whoa, like, whoa. you know, where did you, I said, wow, no. he just viewed me as not being able to, yeah. you know, run a company because I have babies. Mm. And he said, oh, I didn't see it that way at all. I figured that he was looking at you and addressing you, but he never said anything to me. Wow. I was like, wow. And that's, I mean, that it's, it's very interesting yeah. how you view your own power, right? And how yes. people are perceiving your power as well. And, 100%. It, and it really made me think. Uh, so that's definitely a uh, similar uh, kind of situation to what you're explaining. So, yeah. And I think now what's so beautiful about that story is that I think so many of us, and we all have our blinkers, you know, I talk about that in the book. We all have a particular way of being in the world. You know, for me, I know when it comes to equality and equity, I've had to really be much more mindful around my ableism, you know, and I've had to learn languages around that and, you know, just do my work around, oh, I don't have to know if there's a ramp 
in the building that I'm going to enter because I don't have to mm-hmm. wonder if there's a ramp. And I was speaking on stage the other day and I said, the reality is, is that the rooms that every single one of us finds ourselves in, there is someone in that room probably, because we live in a hierarchical society in the Western world in particular, mm-hmm. there is someone in that room that has higher status power. Now, it may be the person with the title that has the most power. It may not be. It may be the person that kind of sits in the room and has a really negative energy because actually they can be the people that have the most power in the room because all energy goes towards that person wondering, are they okay? What are they going to do? Are they going to say? It may not be the person with the title of CEO in the room that has the power, but there is always someone in that room that has the least power. Once again, by title, or because maybe they're an introvert in an extroverted space, or maybe because they have a marginalized identity, whatever that may be. And the opportunity for every single one of us when we're in that room is to be mindful of that and to look around and think, can I elevate the power of anyone in this room? And if so, what would I be doing to do that? Is that to just say, oh, did you have something to say, Zainab? Or, um, oh, I noticed that, you know, Peter did this incredible thing the other day that I wanted to share with the group. You know, that we all have little ways that we can elevate the power of each other. And in the book, you know, I talk about the power acronym. So once again, redefining power. And there's five power principles, Mm -hmm. presence, ownership, wisdom, equality, and responsibility. And once we take a hold of any of those principles, because they don't really work in a linear fashion either, they can, but they don't always Once again, it allows us to redefine power and look at how do I get to do something in a particular way with the capacity that I have in the spaces that I find myself in. That was my next question. So thank you so much for for bringing that up. That's amazing. So what does the word ambition mean to you? Ah, yes, yes. Well, there's the word that ambition meant to me mm-hmm. in in this story and the word that I now know that it means. So I talk about ambition um, in the power of ownership. So the principle of ownership under the chapter, the power of belief. I think it's really important that we re-examine what we think words mean and what they actually mean. So I am here in Melbourne, Australia, on the land of the Rwandjeri people. And I had a meeting with a dear friend who was in the corporate space and we were chatting and she said to me, this is many years ago now, maybe 12 years ago. And she said, oh, I love your ambition. And I remember looking at her and thinking, what, why would you call me ambitious? And obviously something changed on my face because she said, oh, I look like I've offended you. And I'm English. So I just gritted my teeth and smiled and said, no, 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 no. Everything is absolutely fine. But I remember once we left that meeting, I remember thinking, that was so rude. Why would she call me ambitious? Mm -hmm. And I looked up straight away, what does the word ambition mean? Now, I had thought ambition meant deceitful, we'll do whatever, you know, you need to get to where you want, um, inauthentic, or just, you know, egotistical, bossy, all of those things. And when I had a look at the word ambition, it means a deep desire to do something. And I was like wow. So where did I get this idea that ambition was a negative thing? And I got it from, you know, the social structures that tell us that ambitious women are bad. And whenever I used to hear about ambitious women, I would hear, oh, she's ambitious Mm -hmm. or she's an ambitious one, which is code for stay away, danger, not a nice woman. There's that word again, nice. But when I saw ambition is a deep desire to do something, I was like, I am ambitious. I have work to do in the world. I want to create spaces and places where women get to live in the world as who they are without apology. And if that means I am ambitious, I will take full ownership of that word. And so for me, that has been part of building my power is taking ownership of my ambition. I love that. And it's, uh, it really hit home for me because I've, uh, I guess your book explores various aspects of of power, including the power of language. And I talk about language a lot. Uh, my understanding of language versus what it really means, uh, or how I've been using language. Uh, for me, when I started the company that I founded, Hint, uh, the word diet meant something totally different. Diet meant healthy to me, and the 
reality is, is that diet is kind of a negative word, right? And so there's, Mm -hmm. I started to realize how we get accustomed to sort of thinking about words. And what your book helped me to see is it's not just uh, words that are defining food or um, it, it actually is words like ambition and power. And there is just so many where we start using words in a certain way. And, um, and often it's, you know, to cut ourselves down, right. Or not yes. allow ourselves to be the people that, uh, we want to be, but the, in the book, you talk about, uh, what we need to stop doing and start doing. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, and just to just to um, continue as well, because you started speaking about words, and obviously as an author, I, I get so excited about words. You know, another thing that I love doing as well is bringing back words back. You know, so for me, something that's been a really big part of me owning my power in my life is my absolute obsession with delight. And I talk in the book about the power of delight because there is power in being delighted and being present. And you know, that is one thing I definitely feel that we need to move more towards in the world that we live in right now. The world has always been a challenging space Mm -hmm. to be in. It's just been different challenges for different people. Many people have been challenged for a long time. And now we have, you know, global challenges that we are all facing, which is why it's so important that we also have the power of the light in our lives, whether that is nature, whether that is the people we spend our time with, whether that is creativity or art or music or beauty, it is important that that is a part of our power as well, that it's not this power that is scarce and miserly, that it's a power that is joyous and abundant and can be shared and is regenerative. And in terms of what we can start doing and stop doing, you know, I will always ask that coaching question, either when I'm on stage speaking or even when I'm working with teams within my Dare to Lead work, it's looking at, you know, this idea of presence, which is the first power principle. Presence is about looking at what is working and what is not working in our lives because our ability to be present has a huge impact in how we are in the world. And that just that question, what is working in your life? A lot of people don't even think about that because as we've already spoken about, we look about we look for what is missing. In the way that I did as a teenager, I was looking for what don't I have? But a lot of people don't celebrate what mm. is working in their lives. They're not present to that. But once they are, and once I've asked them that question, and they've generally blown their own minds by what is working in their lives, I will then ask them, so what is not working? And that can be incredibly fronting. Presence is challenging. It's not about sitting in a meadow, you know, with this, oh, I have this enlightened presence or I'm being mindful. Presence is also confronting the things in our life that maybe aren't working or the parts of our personality that aren't working. You know, there's this beautiful phrase, if one person tells you you're a horse, they're probably, they probably have an issue. If two people tell you that you're a horse, probably buy a saddle. And if three people tell you you're a horse, you're a horse. Um, you know, that there are going to be aspects of our personality that maybe aren't working. And we've been told again and again and again, and if we're willing to take ownership of that part of our personality or that trait in us, we then have an opportunity to do something about it. If we know that there's something about that, that is true. And so for me, what we start doing and what we stop doing in our lives is different for everyone. But the first step is always get present to what is working and what is not working. Where are you fully in your power and where are you giving away your power? And what are the opportunities for you for your next step, for your next action? Because obviously as a coach, I'm very committed to setting my clients up to succeed, but I'm also committed that their actions have meaning for them. It's not action for the sake of action. It's not action to do stuff. It is action to be in the world as we are without apology. I love that so much. So I could talk to you for 10 hours. So it's, uh, there's so much here on it for sure. So you talk about owning your story. Uh, one of the things that I, I loved, uh, this example was sometimes people want to talk about something, uh, that is part of your life, but it, it's up to you to own your own story. Like I've, I've yeah. said, for example, over the years, while I have four children and my children definitely are the love of my life, um, that does not necessarily make me a leader, 
Maybe it does. There's aspects of it. But that doesn't mean that every time I'm doing an interview, people say, how do you balance being a mother and being a CEO? Something that they would never ask a man, uh, for example. And I think that figuring out how to gracefully actually stop people from inserting things into creating the story that they want versus what you want is um, is something that I think is really important for people, and and I love your response on that. It is. It's actually it's an ongoing challenge, you know, in the big ways and the small ways. I was doing a book signing just the other day, and and I always do this with book signing. So a woman came up to me and she said, um, "My name is Elizabeth, but people call me Liz." And I always say, "Okay, and what would you like to be called?" And she said, "What do you mean?" I said, so your name is Elizabeth, but people call you Liz. What would you like me to sign your book as? She just looked at me and she actually teared up. She goes, I'd like you to sign it as Elizabeth. And I said, okay. And she said, actually, I think I need to start telling people to stop calling me Liz. I love it. (laughs) She just really, like a small thing, but huge. It's your name, you know, taking ownership of your name. But once again, that thing where people just, we, we give our narratives away to people in the big and small ways all the time. And you're right. It's also sharing them in spaces and places where, you know, we're safe to share those things. I never used to share that I was a foster child. I used, that was part of my story. I did not take ownership of because I felt I didn't want people's sympathy or people's pity. And some, I didn't want people to be delving into questions of why. And people made up a narrative about who my parents were, because generally the narrative is if you're fostered, that is because, you know, for whatever reasons, your parents can't look after you. And for me, it was because the reason that I was fostered and tens of thousands of Nigerian children were fostered is because of the colonial narrative Mm -hmm. that there's only one form of education, the English education. And so my parents wanted the best for their children, as most parents do, especially when it comes to education. And they thought, okay, so we want our kids to have the English education and they will come back to Nigeria and become the doctors and the lawyers. Now, obviously, I did not become, I did not become a doctor or a lawyer, but I married a lawyer, so my mum is very happy. <laughs> I need to just state that. Um, proximity, lawyer by proximity, she's happy with. But if we don't take ownership of our full narrative, we leave parts of ourselves outside of rooms. One of the reasons I know that I am successful in the work that I do as a coach is because as a child, I arrived in families of which I had never met any of those family members. And I had to observe from the outside to see what was going on, what was being said, what was not being said. Now, as a coach, my role is not to give advice to my client. That is what a consultant does. I'm very clear as a ICF credential coach, it is not my job to tell people how to live their life, but it is my job to create a space where they feel safe enough to share with me what obstacles or what dreams they have in their life. And I will then walk alongside them by asking questions, sharing stories and mirroring back to them. And for me, I need to listen for what is being said and what is not being said. So I can now fully integrate and take ownership of the whole of my story because I know the way I coach has a lot to do with me being a foster child, has a lot for me being able to be caring about my client's but not attached to my clients because I was in families where I was cared for, but I could never be fully attached to those families because I never knew when I was going to be moved again. So I just wanted to share that because I know there'll be people listening where they are not taking ownership of parts of their story, but actually there are parts of their story. They don't need to go out into the world and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is what has happened to me or, you know, this is who I am. But just for you to take ownership and to have pride of this, I've lived this. And this is why I get to show up as a graphic designer in this way. This is how I get to be a founder. This is how I run my business this way because of that part of my story, not in spite of it, but because And one of the things that I say is that my story is not my excuse. It's my why. It's why I do the work. I navigated the world for a very long time, feeling that I had no sense of power and that I was powerless. And that 100% is why I do the work that I do now, because I know what it's like to navigate the world feeling powerless. And it is a joy and a delight to create spaces and places where people own their power. 
So the last question, like I said, I could go on and on and everyone needs to get a copy of this book because it will have you thinking and I'm going to go back and reread it and also listen to it on Audible uh, for sure because it's uh, I can't get enough of you, Kemi, because it's uh, it's so, so good. But you talk about the I am exercise. Can you share about the I am exercise? And not to put you on the spot, but if you happen to have your own I am's anywhere around there uh, with you, I would love, love, love um, t- for you to not only talk about what it is and how to do it, but also just to give an example. Yes, I I will. So I do need to give credit to... Um, Brené Brown, because I trained with Brené in Texas in 2019 as a Dare to Lead facilitator. And part of the Dare to Lead work um, in the first version, you know, Brené is a researcher, so it's always changing and we get new versions and new updates on the research. But the first version, there was an exercise called I Am. And we were given the choice as facilitators whether or not we wanted to keep that or whether we wanted to, um, you know, whether we wanted to remove that from our curriculum. I have found it to be such a powerful, powerful coaching practice in terms of taking ownership of our story. And I have my I am here, if you're happy for me to just read it straight from the book, Cara. I would love it. Um, Okay, wonderful. Isn't that great? I had the book right here at this, you know, and I could find it because we didn't pre-plan this. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so um, just to give a little bit of context for um, the listener, um, the I am exercise is basically us integrating our full selves without apology. It's a very simple exercise. I think it's Joel Olstein, um, who has also written a book called mm-hmm. The Power of I Am or I Am. And what he says is the words that follow I am are the most powerful words because if we say I am brave, that's very different from saying I am powerless, for example. So this is my I am. I believe our I ams are always evolving because we're always evolving, but this is what it currently is. <clears throat> I am Kemi. I am of Nigerian heritage and I am an English and Australian citizen. I am black. I am of fostered stock. I am a multi-passionate and I am proud of this fact. I am here to serve. I am a lover of boundaries. I am an introvert. I am a lover of beauty in its many forms. I am wounded. I am a creator. I am a connector. I am a maker and a grower. I am in my body. I feel things strongly. I am a true and loyal friend. I am a good enough mother and a top shelf wife. My husband's words, not mine. I am flawed. I am not an apology. I am growing. I am whole. I am worthy. That's awesome. So, so, so beautiful. It was such a pleasure to talk with you and meet you, Kemi. And like I said, everyone needs to get this book, Power. Uh, It's been out in Australia and has done incredible and just coming out in the US. I know that many people are listening to this podcast from all over the world, but uh, definitely in in the U.S. Uh, I know it's coming out uh, for the first time. So everyone's going to know Kemi's name if you don't already. And this book is absolutely so incredible. So thank you again, Kemi. Thank you so much, Cara. It's been delightful to be here with you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for 
anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.